Hey folks, Rob here. I'm just taking a second here to explain that this episode is ground zero for a little problem that we have for a short time here at River Do's and River Don'ts, where we occasionally mistakenly refer to the Blossom family as the Bloom family. They start with the same couple of letters there. They're synonyms for the most part, so I mean, you know, forgive us, but... I will be editing those wrong mentions of that surname with some very excellent and very seamless bodlerization, we'll call it. Uh, It'll be great. Our podcast is about a story about a town, a small town, and the people who live in the town. From a distance, it presents itself like so many other fandom podcasts all over the internet. Nerdy. White. Male. Get closer, though, and you start to see the silliness underneath. Hello, folks, and welcome to River Do's and River Don'ts. It's the little cute little podcast where Quinn and I talk about what happened in an episode of Riverdale. Our favorite parts, the River Do, as it were. The River Don't, or worst part of the episode, and the part of the episode that left us perplexed. We've really got to come up with a name out for to that thing. I mean couple times ago we tried to describe it it ended up on an extended metaphor about dogs becoming tim allen so yeah we probably need a name for it episode five heart of darkness by joseph conrad (laughs) yes that one bold move yeah yeah i was surprised too but the nihilistic look at the crushing evils of colonialism and like just this bleak journey into the sad empty core of man's soul was just the shot in the arm Riverdale needed after getting rid of its pedophile I think. The thing is the description that you just gave though describing Joseph Conrad's seminal work is a relatively apt description of what actually happened in this episode. A little bit. It was very conceptual uh, and very psychological. Directed by Jesse Warren and written by Ross Maxwell. And oh my god, is it a different show than, than previous episodes of this show have been. It's got a black and red and white color scheme. There's roses everywhere. Um, there's some mommy dearest elements. It's very different. This is the fifth episode of the first season of Riverdale, also the first episode of the new reboot of Dark Shadows that we're apparently doing. Indeed. So, like, we've got a memorial for Jason, but Cheryl's parents don't want her to talk there because presumably she's going to bring her icky emotions in there and and just splash them all over everything. Yeah, she's going to embarrass the family by being sad about her brother being dead. And... We've got this whole, like, which of you jocks is the jockest jock and, you know, deserves to lead the football team plot going on in the background of this episode. And I mean, thank God to Coach Clayton for sitting those boys down and explicitly outlining the mechanics of the plot to them. Yes, I mean, we need at least a little of that every episode or, like, what's going to keep us hooked. We have this bizarre subplot with Val introducing Archie to some kind of multi-platinum songwriting dude who's just like super way, way, way up his own ass, like to the point where he's some kind of like human douche Ouroboros. Very much so. That kind of happens and goes nowhere. Uh, Yeah, that's really just wheel spinning. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I 
Jughead decides that searching the Blossom family mansion for clues is a good reason to go to the memorial thing, which turns out to be Clue. Yeah. Because the people who are invited on the guest list are explicitly people that the Blossom family suspects of having possibly killed their son. They're there to sort of like check them out, get them all in one place, try to figure something out. And unless I missed something, that also didn't happen? No. Like they didn't figure anything out? It was pointless. They psychologically taunted everyone as they came in to the the wake or the memorial. And I guess they got derailed before they had a chance to actually try to get to the bottom of everything. But at least Jughead and Betty got to meet old Granny Deadeye in the dead boy's room. Who got to exposit creepily at them a little bit. Yeah, just being such an archetype. Oh, yeah. She's even oh, yeah. got that little swirl of red left in her hair. Just Snake in a box? Yeah, Shortly there is snake box. We, we, have her, we have Hermione working at, at the diner, and there's a box with a remarkably lethal-looking snake in it. It does look almost like a rattlesnake. Like, this is not a terribly effective tactic of warning someone. Like, if the snake was dead, which is what you normally do, like you send people, you nail... A dead animal to something or put a dead animal in a box? Mm-hmm. You like, nail a dead animal living, to a box. The, yes. The living rattlesnake that will easily kill you is a weird move. It's not a threat so much as it is maybe an attempted murder. Yeah. like And it's, a, and it's like... It's, it's got to be expensive. It's like they're trying to win that clue game, too, because no one's going to guess in the diner with the rattlesnake box. Right. And as far as I can tell, Riverdale doesn't seem geographically like they have rattlesnakes out there naturally i say that as someone who does come from a climb with natural rattlesnakes and nobody knows where riverdale is right like it's just like there are things about it that seem very new england but it's also like maple syrup country it's let's call it it's narnia the pacific northwestish maybe it's weird but there's also could not nail it down on a map but it definitely doesn't seem like it's rattlesnake country and, I mean, well, and there's way more, but there's also way more old money there than there would be in the Pacific Northwest. It's too. true. Like, it's just, it's so, it's so I weird. It's not any real place. It is very similar to the town from the Goonies. Well, and I'm sure it's also filmed in Vancouver. So, like, that's another thing to make it look weird. Right. But I think the fiscally responsible thing to do would be to buy some sort of, like, corn snake from the local pet store <laughs> and put that in a box. It's not going to be as intimidating. Uh, okay. No, it's But it's not. probably going to be less expensive than importing these snakes. We learn about the, like, Hatfield and McCoy feud between the Coopers and the Blossoms uh, going back a few generations. Because we like, needed that. We needed an old blood feud. Some old dude killed some other old dude a while ago, and now we all hate each other. Over maple syrup. And Archie makes captain and immediately turns it down because uh, of music. Right. And Jughead and Betty just fly to this astonishing conclusion that Betty's dad was the one who stole all the evidence because he wasn't at the drive-in. And that's the only explanation, and it couldn't have been anyone else. Correct. Literally everyone else in town was at the drive-in. Every other person who lives in the city limits or surrounding areas of Riverdale were all at the drive-in. Yeah. So he was the only person who could have possibly done it wild wild yeah. conclusion it was it was a weird way to end it was like they tried to do the thing that they do at the end of every episode and they just had nothing yep. <laughs> and, and they bluffed 
<laughs> they just played the empty hand and they're like, fuck you. See you next week. Yep. I'm going on break. And one more piece of important plot slash exposition that we haven't covered yet is that old grandma Blossom reveals to us that Polly and Jason may have been engaged to be wed. My goodness. It's a star crust uh, type of a thing going on. A um, real Montagues and Capulets situation. Indeed. And I went to Hatfields and McCoys, but Montagues and Capulets is also quite quite apt with the number of uh, teenage boners happening in this show. Yeah. Uh, but so my Riverdue for this week, my favorite thing about this weird, weird, weird episode is its complete shift of tone to this weird gothic soap opera. Like, this was just... Like, hey, Tim Burton, can you come and, like, just do your thing but with less Johnny Depp and less racism? Yep. It was just a different show. Like, completely different tone, different tropes. Fucking weird. Like, and I loved that it just leaned heavily, heavily into it. It's almost like a bizarre palate cleanser. It was. After last week. It was really like, okay, let's take this, you know, wash it around in your mouth for a minute. Just let everything sort of clear out and then we'll get back to what matters next week it's like you'll by the end of this you'll be too confused to remember all the gross stuff from before oh yeah because they're throwing stuff out there left and right i mean they're also teasing like a burgeoning relationship between hermione lodge and fred andrews and uh, archie and valerie that is also true but my river due for this week was essentially the same thing Everything about the Bloom household, which seems to exist in this alternate, gothic-ass dimension. And let me say this. The one thing that blows my mind about this whole thing is that somehow it's Veronica who's the one who owns a witch cape. I mean, maybe it's just too on the nose? Because they are, in fact, some kind of vampire monster family? It could be. It really could be. If they don't cross over into the Sabrina show, by the way, I quit. Right. So that was also my Riverdue. It was just this glorious tonal shift. It would have been messy and regrettable had they simply accidentally stepped in this mud, but they stripped naked and wallowed in it. Oh, yeah. There were no bones about what was going on. So, having gotten my Riverdue out of the way, now let's talk about our River Don'ts. And that is Grandma Blossom in general. (laughs) And specifically the whole part where she acts very directly as a vehicle to exposit plot by conveniently mistaking Betty for Polly. She all but had a gold exclamation point over her head. Yeah, it was just really, really mired in a lot of weird ableist, ageist tropes and archetypes. Ah, that too. That too. And it was just so direct. And she was hiding in the corner behind the door of Jason's room. Mm -hmm. What kind of place is that to chill? That's like where they left her and forgot about her because of all their machinations. Apparently. But that was very bad. Now I'm going to a dark place in my head where they're like, Mother, you didn't chew your food all the way, so now you have to go to time out in the dead boy's room. Pray his ghost doesn't come and rend your flesh. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's... They're weird people. They're really weird people. And that's a that is a fine river down. It was obvious plot wise and definitely sort of dehumanized this this old woman who, you know, has lost her grandchild 
uh, if she even fucking knows that she lost her grandchild because, like, they really do just kind of like, oh, old people are like this. The funny um, thing about old people is they only are cognizant occasionally and otherwise hmm. are essentially furniture. <laughs> yeah. So my river don't is basically fuck your football team. No one cares. Um, the, <laughs> Fair. The, the subplot of like Archie and Reggie competing for the captaincy isn't dramatic, has nothing to do with anyone's internal conflict or the main plot of the show doesn't have any actual tension to it and doesn't tonally match anything else that's going on in the episode. And it just feels like we're occasionally checking back in with that subplot because it's there. And like, it was super boring. And then it ended on a complete anticlimax and didn't matter at all. Same with the music, honestly. They needed a plot for Archie to exist in. Yeah. At least the music is something that Archie is kind of, he's searching for his identity and like he feels vulnerable with, as we'll see in like next week's episode, in fact. And it allows him to interface interestingly with some other characters. But like the football thing is just like, why do you need a plot that is like weird competition for a character's B plot when they've already got one? I It was too, I guess tonally underscore what Archie was going through because he needed to realize that he didn't love football enough to realize that he loved music. It was weird and vestigial and just strange. At least the music links in to the gross but plot important stuff with Grundy. And not that I imagine this would actually happen, but if Archie has to battle with how the music you know, represents him and motivates him and speaks to him, but also reminds him of his abuse. Like that would be actually interesting. Yeah, but I don't but know that the show really happen. has the self-awareness for that. Uh, so yeah, the whole football thing just felt like a huge waste of time. Didn't care. Bored. Why are Why are we watching this? This has nothing to do with anything. Hundred like, percent. That was kind of my my don't for this week. My perplexing bit. My enigma of the week actually depends on the answer to a question that I'm not confident of myself. In the first episode of Riverdale. Yes. Where was Cheryl's after party held where they played spinning the bottle and seven minutes in heaven thing? Like, where was that? What building in Riverdale was that? Was that at Cheryl's house? I don't know. Is that where people have house parties? Because we have this whole thing. We get the Jughead narration about how everyone avoids the Blossom House because it's scary and, and maybe haunted. Nobody goes there. And it's a big deal that everyone's getting invited there like some sort of like darkling twin of the Wonka factory for this like murder mystery party. But I think they had a fucking party there in the first episode and just forgot about it during the writing of this episode. <laughs> like I'm doing a little bit of investigative journalism. Because, like, if that is the case, that's definitely my weird bit for the week, is that they cast a spell, the Blossoms cast a spell on the populace of Riverdale Okay. to make them forget that people have been there. I think that that was Cheryl's house. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. I'm not going to say that this is explicitly true, but Cheryl was definitely the person who put together the after party. Yeah. 
It, it certainly felt so, like they were implying that it was Cheryl's house. Unless they've got a house and, for after parties, which isn't fucking creepy. Like, it's just... Yeah, she threw a house party in the first episode, and now she lives in a haunted gothic mansion that everyone's afraid to go to. That, yeah, so there it is. That's my perplexing bit. My my runner-up, or what it would have been, had this turned out to be something that I just missed and there was an adequate explanation for, is the way that the gang sort of sits down on the bleachers, reflects on the series so far, and has plot briefings delivered to them by Val and then Cheryl. Like, they just, they queue up and wait their turn to advance their, their subplots. For sure. Which is more of a classic Riverdale eye-rolling bit but no the the complete redo of the blossom mansion it even has a creepy name isn't it like thorncroft or some shit it's like that? some like, bullshit like that yeah rose haven murderville lily blood <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking knows. <laughs> but yeah that's that's my weird one that's my weird one for the week okay how about you so my runner-up in brief is the blossoms literally approaching as seem to be implied anyway every guest to this memorial service and personally taunting them with a gentle whisper into the ear it's such a fucking power play this is family fun night for them but it's also very perplexing oh yeah however if you have anything to hide make sure to hide it we're giving you a nice fair warning that we suspect you yep but not it, doing it's anything really about weird it. Or accomplishing anything. I know where you put the body. It was not great. However, I'm going to go ahead and very quickly spell out for you all my number one perplexing thing for this week. S-N-A-K-E-B-O-X. Snakebox <laughs> was bananas. I know they're called the serpents, but... But they're not Batman villains. Oh, what? <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, I guess I don't either. There actually has been CW, uh, like, branding. There's been, like, Suicide Squad and Batman posters. So I guess all bets are off. It's produced by the same people who are doing the rest of the CWDC shows. And the speed with which someone opened the diner door, caused the bell to go off, dropped the snake box, positioned it very perfectly, and then exited the diner. Barry, why do you owe these people money? It, it could be. It, what are you I'm, into these Southside Serpents for, Barry Allen the Flash? I'm not saying it was the Flash, but I'm also not saying that they aren't Batman villains who have some very, very crack training in dropping snake boxes. Yes, they may be greasers, they may be, you know, sharks and jets style gangsters, but they are also ninjas. Yeah. Yeah. So, that whole thing, all of the pageantry about that, and the fact that... Based so, do you think we're just going to see the penguin come over and, like, recruit from Riverdale? They're like, ah, Gotham's running low on mentally ill people for Batman to punch. Um... With you guys seem to have potential if we can just rebrand from snakes into some kind of bird. With the tone that Riverdale's taken so far, I would more expect someone like maybe the Mad Hatter or Calendar Man to show up. <laughs> oh, look, it's February the 27th, National Snakes Day. Be careful of any 
stray snake boxes. You wouldn't want to get hurt, would you, Mr. Batman? Oh, my God. <laughs> Head cannon. So, yeah, snake box. Snake box. Hashtag snake box. And I think that that does it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening to this beautiful madness. Oh my this God, beautiful, dark, nightmare. twisted fantasy, just like this episode. I would have to sit down if I wasn't sitting down already. <laughs> Tune in next week. It only gets crazier. I actually like next week's episode, even though it's bad. Kind of the same. 